The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. And good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. It's me, Simon Tishko. This is Isotopica. There you are, Resonance 104.4 FM. And... On today's Icetopica, we are in conversation today, that's what we are doing. Um, we're talking with Peter Tatchell, having had Peter Tatchell at absolutely embedded in my political consciousness since Simply Forever. Peter has, as many of you will know, been gay rights, human rights, and just general, all-round, incredibly dedicated activist, Simply Forever, I would like to think. And... Um, I recently decided it would be nice to have a brief conversation, nothing too deep or serious, as I am no Novara Media, and just simply to meet the man would be a delight. So, briefly, I'm in conversation with Peter Tatchell, and bear in mind that Peter is someone who has never been afraid to actually put himself right on the very front line, to say the least, even to the extent of twice attempting to make a citizen's arrest. One of the world's most despotic rulers, in this case, Robert Mugabe. And I understand last time, which was 2001, when Peter made this incredibly brave and committed act, he suffered serious injury which at the hands of Robert Mugabe's minders, as it turned out. Um, I mean, it's really putting yourself there where your beliefs stand, which seeks very nicely with another place where I'd love some Resonance FM feedback here on this one because I feel we are sleepwalking into Britain leaving Europe. I can't even imagine a single reason, a single cogent reason anyway, why anyone would want to separate Britain from Europe, which is an exciting, fabulous and vibrant continent with its political problems, its political structural problems, but something we should all be working together, especially with times of the climate disaster, which is overcoming us all, the refugee crisis, the help that we as a continent can give. I can only see little Britain remaining if any notion of leaving the European project which is a fabulous modernist construct and certainly needs a lot of work. And if anyone out there could even give me a hint at a single, and I really mean this, thought out, rational, and not a gut response that let's go back to the European Empire or not the European, the British Empire. I'm sure we will be retaking Hong Kong and India and everything else if Brexit people get their way. But in the meantime, I went to a local political meeting of the Stronger In campaign and it was a really sweet and emotional small group 
people emotional for me anyway as it felt a very European thing to do I was in France many years ago when we had the when they had the referendum on the Maastricht Treaty and everywhere there were signs up and groups of people and local bistros cafes bars and clubs were full of people debating the pros and cons of the Maastricht Treaty it's like such social engagement people really taking part and I feel very strong that the resonance FM demographic being a somewhat younger demographic than you get are going to play a vital role in you know just encourage your friends if you, if, if you or a friend are not intending to vote um, in the European referendum then I really have to question I, mean, I really didn't mean this I question your very being yeah are you for real? That's what I'm trying to say. So, bear in mind, Stronger In is the campaign that I would like to discuss. If anyone out there wants to actually come on air and talk with me about this. In fact, if anyone from the reverse, the people that want to leave Europe, want to contact me through the usual things, hashtag Isotopica, my website, www.theculture.net, or directly through Resonance FM, I'm more than happy to discuss and listen and share some airtime if anyone out there can give me one single cogent, well thought out reason why Britain should leave Europe and not why we should, every man, boy, girl, pussy, cat, dog and every other description you could possibly be that can vote, not get out there and shake everyone out of this sleepwalk into leaving the beautiful European project. So there you go. Today is a politics-packed edition of Isotopica. Pin back your ears. Simon Tishko with Peter Tatchell in conversation. There's loads of details about how to contact Peter uh, in the discussion we have. And as ever... Put on the kettle, brew some nice oolong, find somewhere comfortable, do something creative, and in the meantime, pin back your ears and listen to today's edition of Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM on your London dial. So Peter Tatchell, I'm really glad to be here in your home and for resonance, I'd just like to get a grounding of how did you get to where you are today in that, what started you in politics? My first ever political memory was in 1963 when I was 11 years old. Okay. Um, I read a report about the racist bombing of a black church in Birmingham, Alabama, mm -hmm. in the United States, where four young girls about my own age were murdered. Mm. I can remember thinking to myself, how could anyone kill another human being, let alone four young girls in church on a Sunday morning? That prompted my lifelong commitment to anti-racism and also prompted my interest in the black civil rights movement, particularly in Martin Luther King and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee led by Stokely Carmichael. Mm -hmm. I saw their direct action methods to challenge racial discrimination, you know, sitting in at lunch counters, um, occupying uh, 
parts of buses and trains that were reserved for whites only. Mm -hmm. I saw that kind of activism, activism as inspiring, noble, and worthy of support. But I didn't actually do my first campaign until four years later when I was 15. Um, in 1967, in my hometown of Melbourne, Australia, a man, Ronald Ryan, who had escaped from prison, had allegedly shot dead a warder during his escapade. Mm -hmm. I worked out at the age of 15 that, given the autopsy report, which showed where the bullet entered the warder's body and where it exited, plus the evidence in the trial about where the warder was standing and where Ronald Ryan was standing when he allegedly fired the fatal shot, that would have been physically impossible. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in the campaign to try and save him on the basis that there was at least a reasonable doubt that he was guilty of the crime of murder and therefore should not be hanged. Sadly, despite the campaign, he was executed. Yeah. And that destroyed my trust and confidence in the government, the police, and the courts. It made me a lifelong skeptic of authority. Fantastic. I thought to myself, <laughs> if they're doing these bad things, mm -hmm. in this instance, what else are they doing that we've been conned about or lied about. Mm. And so I began to investigate the treatment of the indigenous Aboriginal people, who, about whom I knew very little, um, and discovered a horrendous history of, well, quasi-genocide, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when the first British uh, settlers arrived in Australia, they're estimated to be somewhere between half a million and three quarters of a million Aboriginal people. By 1920, there are only about 120,000 left. Oh my God! Yeah, we know those um, those figures. Yeah, genocide. Can I whip us right to the 21st century from that point there? Because um, I was reading about the steel issue that's going on at the moment with the Tata steel industry being sold out and a Tory politician standing talking to the workers and actually standing there and saying we were fighting Europe to bring tariffs on the Chinese and it's an, a, an outright lie not a twist not um, mm. a movement to one side but an outright lie the reverse of the reality which we know is going on so after all your years of campaigning and the very thing, you know, the, the, this notion of authority absolutely lying, which can be quite shocking. At, at the age of 11, one assumes that there's some degree of morality above us. It's still going on. Where, do, where, does, that, where does that leave us? I say us because I have a similar kinship of questioning everything. Hmm. Where does it, where, where, how do we carry on? <laughs> it's such a big question, hmm. I know, but... Well, we know that when people are fed up, had enough, and get organised, mm. our collective strength is incredibly powerful. Yes. Uh, for example, um, the poll tax was Margaret Thatcher's flagship policy. Yep. Yet, thankfully, enough people saw it as being grossly unjust and unfair, and either refused to pay mm. or delayed their payments. Yes. In the end, we made the system ungovernable. Uh -huh. So, at the end of the day, Thatcher, despite 
the pledge that she would never reverse you know this this lady is not for turning she said yeah, yeah, yeah. she did in the end axe the poll tax okay can um, i just say that mm. that's that jump from i was wasn't quite finished the story i'm sorry mm. can we just go back to what, what i said about the, the last the pr second last question because It'd be better if I finish that little story, okay, and then you jump to what we we're just talking about. Yeah, please, let's go back. So, to um, um, so that experience with the execution of Orion, yeah, made me a lifelong skeptic of authority. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, if they're prepared to do this bad thing, what else are they doing that we don't know about? Yeah. So I began to investigate the uh, abuse and mistreatment of the indigenous Aboriginal people of Australia who were in effect subjected to a genocide over a period of two centuries of white settler rule mm -hmm. and also questioned Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War. So on both those issues I became very active in Aboriginal civil and land rights and also in opposition to the Australian-American War in Vietnam and the draft which existed in Australia for young men uh, for Vietnam. Okay. Um, those are the sort of roots out of which my politics have sprung. Right, very, yeah, very fertile roots. Also, it was 1967, you said, which was a very dynamic time culturally, politically, and across the world, wasn't it? Com mm. Comparing it to now, perhaps, is, has, has, has the world shifted, the notion of, because you mentioned poll tax as a time when um, ac action by people made something ungovernable. Um, I'm, I find myself more and more pessimistic that this becomes even possible these days. And do you think there's, there's a shift or are we still in the, the same sort of time as in the 60s that these things can happen? The 1960s was undoubtedly a particularly unique period of liberation and revolution. Mm. Uh, we had the birth of the women's black and gay liberation movements. Absolutely. We had the uh, resistance of the people of Vietnam against uh, American invasion and occupation. Mm. Um, we had the tragedy of Czechoslovakia mm -hmm. when people sought to create a socialism with a human face yep. and were brutally crushed by Soviet tanks. Yep. Um, and of course we had the Cultural Revolution in China which although I'm very critical of large aspects of it, I think some principles and ideas from the Cultural Revolution were very positive. I mean, the idea of challenging um, bigoted, ignorant ideas mm. um, and um, developing a, a popular culture that reflected people's aspirations for a better life, those principles were good. Mm. Of course, the human rights abuses and excesses of the Cultural Revolution were very, very wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I can remember, in, you know, in 1968, age 16, um, we were studying history, uh, the Cultural Revolution, and um, there was a certain appeal to the way in which students were rising up against the old guard of the Communist Party, yep. who had become corrupt and dictatorial. They were demanding that the Communist Party leadership are held to account. And that was a very good aspect of 
the Cultural Revolution. Mm. It's just a pity that it became um, ultimately so sectarian and you know accusatory of you know people making minor mistakes got accused of being counter-revolutionaries, and that was complete and total nonsense and a betrayal of of what was or could have been mm. potentially something very worthwhile. Yeah. It's it with communism. Um, you mentioned Czechoslovakia. My brother, he was a photographer in the 1960s, and he was the first Western journalist to get to Prague when the Russians invaded. My fa my family were Polish, and so he pretended to be a Polish student. And and I'll send you some links to some of the photographs from then because it was it was. I mean, combined with Hungary, Czechoslovakia was in many ways the last straw mm. for so many with Western support of the Soviet regime. Mm. Things, don't you think? But what, what, what do you think? What do you think? Why was the sixties so dynamic? Do you think? Just, I mean, it's, it's such a wide question, I know, mm. but it's an, it's a time that I constantly refer back to and mm. constantly fascinated by. That dynam dynamism, particular point in history, or is something was something else going on? Do you think? I think there are a whole constellation of factors. It was a time of rising prosperity, uh, the influx of many young people into higher education far more than ever been through university in the 40s or 50s. Yeah. Um, and there was also just this incredible idealism uh, where people dared to imagine what many people had previously assumed to be the impossible. Um, so was this, there was questioning, uh, critical uh, approach to society as it was, mm. and the attempts to chart something different. Yeah. It's it's you mentioned education because I've I've often thought and you know I'm a great believer education is a very is obviously a driving force of change, but with the very commodified form of education we have now, that you will see figures that say more than ever people are going to university and things. But I find I teach occasionally at some art schools and things. Blah 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 blah, um, and everyone is so tied in it's like they're like baby elephants with chains around their necks that eventually will be removed but the chains will remain you know the old story of training an elephant and simply by the money that they're having to invest it's it's an utter mindset so the freedom of education has been removed by you're actually paying for your own training for a lifetime of work perhaps mm. and that removes much of what probably contributed to the 1960s perhaps yeah I think we are living in much more austere and economically difficult times so people are much more focused on getting a good job and keeping it yep. um, nowadays for most young people education is very much about training for a job mm. whereas probably in the 60s it was equally as much about you know enhancing one's own horizons and mm. developing critical faculties and um, exploring new and diverse ideas that previously had been closed to mm -hmm. many generations. Yeah, it's it. 
Anyone that listens to my radio show regularly will know I'm such a pessimist these days. I'm kind of I'm I feel beaten down by neoliberalism at the moment. Temporarily, I hope I'm a little stumped down. How do you feel? bringing those emotions, that world sensibility from the 60s of, of someone that's so challenging into the, as we are now. How are you feeling right now, Peter? That's the question. Well, I don't think you can apply the 60s to now because no, no, no. the situation I, I, has yeah, changed. Absolutely. People's temperament and mentality has changed. Mm. Um, so I can see lots of downsides. The rise of sectarianism and infighting within the left and progressive movement mm. where some people seem more interested in fighting other activists than fighting the real enemy yeah um, obviously the economic situation is still very unstable uh, people feel insecure mm -hmm. um, you know we're seeing you know a rise in taxes on ordinary people while the very rich are still making billions um, and the big three parties, there's not a lot between them, you know, one, one senses, you know, that if you vote Labour, Conservative or Liberal Democrat, you know, there are some differences, mm. and I don't want to diminish those, but they're not huge, they're basically all committed to the neoliberal project, um, to even Jeremy? keeping, keeping even, society as it is. Even, even Mr Corbyn, do you think? Well, Jeremy I don't think is, No. and nor is John McDonnell, No. but they are not the Labour Party. No. You know, they are prisoners of a party where there are many people and many powerful people, including members of Parliament, mm. who do not share his vision of what the future could be. Yeah, which which takes me straight back to my political pessimism <laughs> moment. It's it's. Um, well, we haven't seen from Jeremy Corbyn no any real new agenda-setting alternative program. He's made some good ideas. You know, he's he, he's challenged the government and won on quite a few points. Mm. That's good. But in terms of alternative vision and captivating the public. Mm. He hasn't yet done it. Yeah, it's horribly quiet. And that, to me, that doesn't all go well for the future. I think, you know, progressive politics is much more than the Labour Party. Mm, obviously. Um, there are some pretty unprogressive people in the Labour Party, yeah, but there's yeah, a lot yeah. of progressive people as well. Mm -hmm. But they don't hold the soul, you know, they're not the keepers of the truth. No. Um, there are people in Labour, the Greens, the SNP, Clyde Cymru, Sinn Féin, who also share a progressive agenda. Yeah. The trouble is they're all fragmented between those different parties. What I'd like to see, and I think is absolutely necessary for any serious social change, is a coming together of people across party boundaries. So people have to give up their party tribalism. Yeah. Instead of thinking my party first, my party best, mm -hmm. think about my values are these, they're shared by people in other parties, let's all work together because yeah. there is the possibility of an anti-Tory majority. Absolutely. Now the Tories only got in on the last election based on 37% of the votes cast yeah. and only 24% of the votes of, of, of eligible electorates. Mm. So the eligible electorate 
only a quarter, just under a quarter, voted Tory. Yet they ended up with uh, 51% of the seats. So electoral reform has to be key. Yes. Because if we'd had electoral reform, yeah. we would have never had Margaret Thatcher in, 19, in 1983. Mm-hmm. We never would have had Tony Blair mm. in 1997. We would have had coalitions where Labour allied with other progressive parties would have been the majority. Yet sadly we had... We, we wouldn't have had any no. Conservative government in the last 40 years. That's a lovely thought. Yet sadly we had um, referendum on... We voted, you know, uh, I say we, the, go- the country voted to stay as we are. That, that's true, that's true. Um, but the off- offering was not genuine proportional representation. No, I, I, I understand that. So a lot of people voted against because it would not have produced a genuinely proportional result. Yeah. We need some system, and I would suggest, like they have for the London elections, and for the Scottish elections, a system of voting for constituency MPs mm. and then voting for list candidates to top up. So under the current system in London, people vote for their constituency MPs, they also vote for a party list. The Greens, for example, don't win any seats on the constituency list, mm. but on the party list, they do. Okay. So that's why we've had Greens on the London Assembly uh, ever since it was set up. So that to me is a fairer system. And I don't say that just because I'm in the Green Party. I'd, I'd say the same thing if it was we're talking about the Liberal Democrats, or whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's a sadness I feel because um, uh, Sean Sean Berry, she came. I've, I've known Sean since she did the. Um, uh, anti four by four campaign, and um, she came onto the show a few weeks back. We we just had a chat once again, known each other for a long time, and um, I asked her, "Have you ever done the political compass? Do you know about the political compass, Dad?" And uh, when we were talking, I said, "I'm probably somewhat left of you to to Sean," and she said, "No, no, 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 I'm near Gandhi or whatever." And I said, "Well, no, I'm way beyond Gandhi," <laughs> and and and. We did that, but for me, uh, there's no one for me to vote for where I exist, where my, my where my thoughts are. How do we change a system? How is voting? Because it's very much the Tories, as they are at the moment, are changing the system actually in the other way yeah. with the change of boundaries. They're actually consolidating their power base. Well, I'd say that everyone needs to lobby the Labour Party, and if they live in a constituency with a Labour MP, they are Labour MP, to press for a genuine commitment to electoral reform, Mm. uh, which would actually be in Labour's interest. Yeah. Because if Labour went into the next election offering genuine PR, similar to the additional member system we have in Scotland and London, quite a lot of Liberal Democrats and Greens would tactically vote Labour. Okay. And that would very significantly increase the number of Labour MPs. That's, yeah, you see, that's that's an optimistic. <laughs> that's a touch of optimism because there's, there's there's something that can be done. I think a lot of my, my political pessimism comes from the feeling of I can't imagine what we can do to actually change anything with the system we have at the moment. So, 
Well, I think to say we can't change anything is a, pessimism, bit, is, pessimism, is, is, is a bit of an over, overstatement. It's, it's um, my, it's my, that's my overwhelming... I'm, I'm being an oblomoff at the moment. I'm more or less taken to my bed. It's springs come out. I've yeah. come out of my bicycle, but I really have. I've just kind of... That's, but that's me. That's well, I think we, we need to remember that things are being achieved. Mm-hmm. You know, the government has had to backtrack on a number of key policies. Yeah. Uh, most recently, of course, the planned cuts to disability benefits. Mm. Um, that's a good example where public pressure can embarrass a government, can shame it, and ultimately even provoke many of its own backbench MPs to rebel. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got the slack of superhighways in London. Um, which is a big, big improvement. I personally don't agree with that, with how it's been done. No. I think to to give over is it 12 feet or 15 feet for cycle superhighways is is absurd. What would you prefer? In what? Well, when I stood for the London Assembly as a Green Left candidate in 2000, I proposed um, that um, on each side of the road there should be a three foot wide cycle lane. Um, with concrete curbing yep. to physically stop cars going into the cycle lanes and cyclists going into the road lanes. Mm-hmm. So just it's just like a, a small a block of curbing. I know the ones, I've yeah. seen them in Like they have in everywhere. Amsterdam. Pa- Amsterdam, yeah. Paris, yeah. everywhere yeah. they've yeah. got them. That would have been a much cheaper mm-hmm. and I think more efficient system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I don't feel supported as a cyclist, even with what they're putting into place at the moment. But you know, it's, that's there. Um, one thing I, w- I wanted to come round to was I'm trying to think. With recently, you've you've um, you've been in the press because of some universities and things didn't want you to speak because they didn't approve of your views. No, that's not quiet. Tell me, explain to me the situation. Some, what yeah. what what actually happened? I was not no platformed by the National Union of Students. No. Okay. Uh, what does no platform Union mean? What does no platform I'll explain mean? Explain a minute, please. The National Union of Students LGBT plus officer Fran Cowling yeah. said she didn't want to share a platform with me mm-hmm. because she alleged that I was racist and transphobic. Um, She sort of implied that the university, Canterbury Christchurch University, should drop me from the lineup of speakers and then Mm. she would speak. But she didn't explicitly say that. But that's the way it could have been interpreted. Okay. But But it wasn't... A no platforming. It wasn't saying that I should not be I should not be allowed to speak. Mm. It was her saying I'm not prepared to speak with him, and the choice was either drop him mm. or I won't speak. Okay. That, that was that was basically what the email she sent right. suggested. Um, now I defend absolutely her right to not speak alongside me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's perfectly entitled. Of course. What I objected to was the false allegations of Mm. racism and transphobia. Yeah. I privately emailed her for two weeks, asking her and questioning her about where is the evidence for my racism and transphobia. Yeah. Can we discuss this? Can we resolve this? Please discuss, yeah. She ignored all my overtures for Mm. nearly three weeks. She refused to speak to me, so that's why I went public and exposed what she was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been other people 
where there have been very serious attempts to no-platform them. So Mariam Namazi, the Iranian communist and feminist, okay. um, there have been several attempts to stop her from speaking at various universities. Um, and likewise, speakers from the student, atheist, secularist and humanist societies, there have been attempts to stop them as well. They accuse Mariam and the atheist, secular and humanists of being racist, colonialist, anti-Muslim and so on. This is all complete fabrication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also took my stand partly to defend them, mm. to say that there has to be a stop to this censorship that's going on, the way in which there are attempts to close down um, legitimate views, even if you don't agree with them, those people have a right to be heard. Yeah. Now, I think the only circumstances which I think free speech can be legitimately restricted is if someone is making false allegations of a damaging nature, such as someone is a rapist or a tax fraudster, or if they're engaged in threats, menaces, harassment or mm. incitements to violence. Then I think it is legitimate to say that that person is not entitled to a platform. But otherwise, the best way to defeat objectionable offensive views is in open debate. To challenge them, expose them, refute them, mm. provide counter evidence. Yep. That's the most effective way. If you just simply no platform someone, or you censor them, or suppress them, that doesn't defeat their ideas. The ideas still remain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't counter them. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's not effective. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah at the same time, I mean, um, you, you talk about evidence and what what I've, I've kind of got an interest uh, a study that I'm trying to do myself I've, there's neurological studies at the moment uh, neuroscience where they're doing political compass inside mm. um, MRI scanners mm. and there seems to be evidence that when we approach sociological political situations just in, in our daily lives that political leanings actually also have a neurological basis that we're using different parts of our brain and uh, for instance with Donald Trump we see in America where um, this one of the things that the supporters um, they're always going he speaks the truth he speaks mm. his mind he speaks the truth and yet when you analyze his speeches he lies every X number of seconds there's an algorithm that says how many seconds it takes for Donald Trump to lie and it goes back to you know I see the Tory MP on the lines at the steelworks stating absolutely the reverse of reality. Evidence doesn't seem to matter in political debate as much as it did going back to the 1960s perhaps that this this is this is something uh, yeah, uh, like with Blair the 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 politics of consent not consensus but the politics of poll group and a group of twenty people in Basildon leading the country as such and the bigger the lies the lies do seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the acceptance of the lies seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger at the same time do you, do you have any sense of that in I the don't world think today so. no I think that that's my pessimism. Lying has always been yeah. 
part of politics, sadly. Yeah. Which is why I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I'm in politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I loathe it. Of course. There I are understand s- there are some wonderful, honest, good people. Mm-hmm. But there's also so many cynical opportunists and people who are prepared to use any trick in the book to sort of get their point across or to yeah. do down someone else. Um, it's very nasty, very unpleasant. Um, but I would say that... Um, you know, compared to the past, I mean, I think misinformation and deception, you know, it's it, it's always been there. Yeah. You know, I, I've done a lot of research around the struggles of colonial peoples against British rule, and you think of the way in which, um, you know, the, the Malayan insurgency or the Kenyan liberation movement mm-hmm. were misrepresented by politicians at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, demonised as terrorists um, when the reality was this was a, a national liberation movement yep. seeking self-government and self-rule mm-hmm. against a colonial occupying power. And, you know, the British government did horrendous, or the British troops there and at the auspices of the British government did horrendous massacres. Yeah, with the Mau uh, Absolutely, yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in Kenya and so on. Um, and and uh, many other, uh, Aden, Cyprus, Malaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but all that was hidden, all that was... Um, um, all that was hidden um, and, and never properly acknowledged at the time. No. It was a big, big cover-up. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't doubt. And when, when whistleblowers did appear, you know, they were rubbished or, you know, suppressed. It's, it's I think, um, do you know the great Randy, the magician no. in America? There's a documentary I was watching recently, um, and great randy was an or is an escapologist and magician who was following on in the footsteps of houdini but it went even further and then many years ago he almost died while doing an escape because he hurt his back and he realized that he needed to move away from the actual thing and he set up something called the randy foundation which he offered a million dollars to anyone that could prove with evidence acceptable evidence any of these claims of um, psychic powers, Yuri Geller, spoon mm. bending, and things like that, and he—he's basically a great debunker. He's someone who he said, "I'm a magician, and I lie and I cheat to amuse you." But there's people that lie and cheat to manipulate you, and he fights against that. Mm. And one of the things he exposed, like Jerry Falwell uh, in America, one of the great religious Christian right healers, pushing people over, Jesus said and getting all the money and he exposed him in a sting um, showing that his intuition from God was actually coming through a shortwave radio that his wife it was you know just such a big scam on such a scale Mm. and it floored him for a matter of weeks and he's now back bigger than ever Mm. and that once again this thing that evidence doesn't matter to a vast uh, demographic well I wouldn't say it doesn't matter. Mm. I think it possibly can have limited impact on people who are absolutely wedded to a particular position. Um, Those people are very hard to shift. Um, And I think it can sometimes be only temporary in its impact. 
mm. but people's memories are short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 you know after a few years, even some big shock horror will have faded in most people's minds. Like Snowden, how how didn't the Snowden revelation just stop the world? Mm. Stop it! Everyone just stop mm. and go. What do we do? Mm. Everyone, oh yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> it's there. So what? What now? What's 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 really happening now? Because we've we've, as I thought would happen, we're able just to talk and talk and talk, and we're rapidly filling up. We're almost done forty minutes. Mm. Um, what now? What are you up to now? What's really pushing for you at the moment? Well, as ever, I'm juggling a dozen or more things. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the big concerns for me in terms of challenging the government is the government is selling the line that there's no alternative to austerity yeah utter lie and i've got to say that i'm surprised how weak the counter arguments from labor have been given that john mcdonald in particular has on the basis of my you know collaboration with him in the past yeah um got a very strong idea about how to tackle austerity yeah and i've got quite a few ideas myself and i think you know if we want to counter the tories ideas we can't just say austerity is bad we can't just be a negative oppositionist no no it's we've got to come up with credible alternatives to convince the public public want to know well if you think austerity is wrong what will you do in its place yeah so i've come up with this little checklist of ways in which we can maintain public services without any cuts and also at the same time plug the deficit so here's a few of them good first of all we could cancel hs2 the high-speed link absolutely which would save somewhere between 50 and 80 billion pounds mm -hmm. we could not renew the trident nuclear missile system wow. which would save something like about 100 billion plus over 40 years okay um, we could end pension tax relief on people earning more than a hundred thousand pounds a year mm -hmm. which would bring in an extra 20 to 30 billion pounds every year so we're up to 223 billion already yeah, aren't yeah. we um we could close the tax avoidance loophole which would be exploited by big corporations which mm -hmm. would say a minimum of another 20 to 30 billion pounds a year or, or bring in bring in an extra 20 to 30 billion pounds a year in revenue um, and then we could go for big things like the financial transaction tax mm -hmm. which if it was levied at 0.05 percent that's 1 20th of 1 percent yes it was levied at that rate on shares, bonds, commodities, and currencies. Um, that would bring in somewhere between 50 to 100 billion pounds every year. And then the final one I throw in was the, is the idea of a one-off average 20% wealth tax on the richest 5%. Uh, so projected the, the, income the, the, from the, the very richest five percent <laughs> pay an average of 20 percent on their assets yes on their assets not income assets yes and this would be just a one-off yeah so people at the at the 
should we say poorer end of the five, wealthiest five percent <laughs> would probably only pay one or two percent but people at yeah. the very top end might pay 30 or 35 percent okay but it'd be a one-off yeah i understand and, and that would be used to re you know to invest in new jobs particularly in the in the green energy sector in renewable energy energy housing, saving housing. conservation affordable housing yeah yeah that that would raise 400 billion pounds so we're, we're coming close to a trillion, aren't yeah, we, with, yeah. with what you're suggesting. Yeah. And you notice that little smile, my pessimism sinking backwards there, because you're voicing yeah. a positive alternative. And I yeah. think that's one of the clearest things from what you said so far. And I didn't, I didn't even realise that. I'm not hearing. The alternatives are fun. Mm. Mm. That's the whole point. Mm. It's actually fun, doable, and everyone can get involved. Everyone gets engaged. They're, they're radical yeah. and realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, people are not going to buy, uh, you know, an alternative unless it appears to be mm. and is credible. It's, it's, it's And this is, this is one of my big beefs with a lot of the left. Yeah. I'm part of the left, but, you know, I, I'm very critical of much of the left because they're in this negative oppositionist mode. Mm. We're against Trident. We're against austerity. We're against cuts in the educational maintenance grant. We're against tuition fees. We're against this. We're against that. But you can't win. No, with a negative argument. With negative argument. Yeah. You've got to have a positive alternative. Yeah. And so that's why in all my political work, I try and not only critique what is, but present an alternative that could be. Yeah, I think that's 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 essential is to have have an alternative. And I'm certain that if these ideas were consistently over months put to the public and explained you know in a far more detailed and better way than i have yeah, just yeah, done yeah, yeah, yeah. um most people would see them as being fair and reasonable mm. and they'd support them but then again it, there's, there's all how on earth do ideas like that get put about when the media itself is so biased in the wrong direction well you know <laughs> I'll do it. La la I'll do it Labour and yeah. Green leaders can go yeah. on yeah. TV and radio That's true. Yeah. and argue them. Mm -hmm. Go on phoning programmes, go mm -hmm. on late night chat programmes, go on Newsnight, Channel 4 News, you know. But they're not doing it. No. I mean, seriously, anyone wants to talk about this on Resonance, yeah. you're welcome. Just come yeah. up, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very frustrating to me because I can see what needs to be said and done. Mm. Nobody's doing it. No. Well, I wouldn't say nobody's doing it, but very few people very, are doing it. Very, very few people are doing it. And the people it, yeah. at the top, like John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, have a platform. In my opinion, they're not using it. I don't think so either. It's it's. And so by default, Osborne and Cameron get away with what they're doing. Again and again and again and again. Yep. Um, look, we've done... That's the time, and what you've managed to do is bring towards the end of our conversation on an extraordinarily positive note which is unusual for me <laughs> well i'm really glad it's, it's yeah 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 i know things look bleak mm. but it's really impossible to keep your eyes fixed on the future on the possibilities on the dream mm. um as oscar Wilde once said once said um we're all in the gutter but some of us are looking at the stars beautiful yeah familiar with that one and my own motto is um don't accept the world as it is dream of what the world could be and then help make it happen yep yeah, let's all help 
Peter. So if anybody's interested, please go to my website. Do you tell? PeterTouchall.org. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> um, if anybody's interested, uh, please go to my website, PeterTouchallFoundation.org. Okay. And you'll find lots of interesting things that we're doing and campaigning on, uh, including some of these ideas. Yeah. Well, I'll have. Actually, no, I'll read that one again. I'll, well, that's why I say my PeterTouchall.net because the, the 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 foundation hasn't got the um, austerity stuff. So, um, so. So, so if anybody's really interested, please go to my personal website, which is www.petertatchell.net, and there you'll find, under social justice, my ideas about alternatives to austerity, and there's loads of other stuff on almost every issue you can imagine, mm. stretching back years and years and I years. I can imagine, fantastic resource. I shall, um, all the episodes of my stock could get linked uh, on a blog and things like that, so there'll be lots of links. So as usual, follow the links, follow the links and stay in contact with Peter. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. And best wishes to you and all your residents listeners. Indeed. Thanks again, Peter. Thank you.
You have been listening to I Stop It here on Resonance 104.4 FM. That was me, Simon Tishko, in conversation with Peter Tatchell. Um, contact details, as you heard, for Peter Tatchell. Details of that further on my website being www.theculture.net hashtag isotopica for all those twitter type people out there which i certainly want don't forget to follow isotopica on twitter once again hashtag isotopica kind of through me and my account it's um my left-wing eccentric polemics does not seem to gather like a rolling stone of followers on Twitter. I don't quite understand, but maybe I'm just too odd even for that world. Who knows? In the meantime, I stop going repeated at various times throughout the week, and um, so much stuff coming up on this continuing season of Isotopica. I thoroughly recommend you have a look at the website, theculture.net, and see what we've done in the past, see what we're planning to do in the future, and even better, contact me and keep the discussions going. And that doesn't mean, by the way, saying, do this, not that. Let's talk about it. Discuss. This is me, Simon Tishko, under an aeroplane, in an apartment, flight.org, two cats, a Zoom recorder, signing off for another seven days. Oh, and by the way, don't forget that today's edition of Ice Topka very strongly recommends you get involved in the stayin.co.uk project, which is get everyone voting to stay in Britain because quite frankly I am leaving if we actually become Little Britain again I cannot imagine it and um, comments on that hashtag Icetopka beep beep me Simon Tishko signing off for another seven days lots of love bye This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.